0: Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible-Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible-Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to thank you for tuning in on this series. We have been going deep into the Word of God, into the Gospel of Matthew. We just... Went through Matthew 1, detours to fulfillment. Yesterday, we went through Matthew 2, misunderstood miracles. And now here we are in Matthew 3. Um, There's something so amazing about digging into God's Word verse by verse to uncover the nuggets and the things that He has uh, left for us to understand and to grasp. I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Um, um, It's only because of God and your hunger that this is even able to happen. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, reading from the ESV. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers, "'who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? "'Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And "'Do not presume to say to yourselves, "'We have Abraham as our father. "'For I tell you, God is able from these stones,' His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be Remember Matthew is writing to the Jewish people to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ that he is their savior not to just not to save them from the bondage of Egypt but to save them from the bondage of sin and Matthew is very strategic with his theme fulfillment and Again, he makes sure that they understand that the role of John the Baptist wasn't some offshoot prophet or someone that was disconnected from the kingdom or disconnected, something different from Jesus. But he shows that John came in the spirit of Elijah and that he was to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is a unique character because he had a priest for a father, and his parents died when he he was young, and the Bible says that he was in the wilderness to the day of his showing. And John the Baptist and Jesus were related he was about six months older than Jesus and this is a, a profound concept because John John and Jesus are related but John does not recognize that Jesus is the Messiah God had to give him a sign from heaven that his little cousin was the chosen one. And we talked about it yesterday, about how proximity can breed blindness. And so John wouldn't have known that Jesus was the Christ except for God giving John a sign from heaven and the dove resting upon him. John needed that sign. And later in the gospel of John, uh, the apostle John chapter one, it would say, uh, that it's the one to whom the Spirit descends upon and remains upon, that that's the chosen one. And so John needed this sign because, again, as we said, proximity breeds blindness. John the Baptist, let's read verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, there's a lot to say about this, and, and this is why Uh, we're doing this podcast, because the Bible just kind of goes through things. And sometimes when we're reading the Bible like a regular book, we just kind of try to go to the next part of the story. But these are some important details that we need to catch. His name is John, but they called him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, uh, because he would baptize people in the wilderness now, John is poor, and he's staying in the deserts. He doesn't have uh, a mom and dad. There, they have passed. Remember, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah—that they were old and well stricken in years. Whenever they had him, they're gone. They're passed off the scene. So, all he has is God, John. John's voice had been weathered by loss, and not only loss, but weathered by loss and resistance. When you really study uh, the, the dynamics of a voice, a sound doesn't come out of your vocal cords without some form of resistance, uh, that that there is something in your vocal cords that that traps air and resists air, which makes the uniqueness of your voice come forth. And uh, the first thing I want to address here is that a, a voice is developed by resistance. A voice is developed and weathered by loss. That that a, a voice is doesn't just show up. John the Baptist didn't just show up. There was a life lived. He was in the wilderness until the days of his show, showing. And the wilderness uh, was a place where John learned a, an undeniable dependence upon God. And through the resistance, he allowed the resistance— to lead him into God's presence and from the resistance. If you're going to be resisted, at least become a voice while you're being resisted. And to understand the uniqueness of John the Baptist's ministry that um, is that Everyone in John the Baptist's time. Remember, last week we talked. Yesterday, rather, we talked about how uh, the the synagogues were the center of Jewish life. Um, That uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees that they were instrumental in the the uh, cultivating the Jewish life. And anyone that wanted to start a ministry, the scribes, they would interpret the law and they would speak on the Sabbath in the synagogues. Anyone that wanted to start their ministry, the first place you went to start your ministry was the synagogue. But John said, I'm going to start my ministry, here it is, in a place where there's no people. What a place to start a ministry in the wilderness, that everyone else is starting their ministry where the people are. John's starting his preaching in an empty place, in a desert place, in a place that is a wasteland, and he is preaching in a desert where there's no people. And yet the anointing on him was so heavy that the people left the beautiful and comfortable synagogues, passed by them to go and hear him preach in the desert. They were willing to sit on the hot sand to hear what John had to say. John was so powerful that they mused in their hearts whether he was the Messiah or not. John didn't do a single miracle, but he preached with such a conviction, they left the comfortable city and came to sit on the hot sand, suffering from dehydration, to hear him speak. He had a boldness on him. He could not be bought with the politics. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they they did have political interests. And they were trying to get favor with the Roman officials uh, because favor meant more buildings and more more opportunities and more for, for their particular synagogue. But John wasn't interested in being bought. Him and God had become so close that he could not be bought, no matter how powerful you are, Herodias or King Philip. John's going to tell you like it is. And he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, preaching in the wilderness. He started his ministry in a place where there was no people and he was effective. See, no matter where God has placed you, as long as you have the anointing on you, God's going to open the door. Some people say, well, if I was just in the right city, if I was just in the right this, and if I was just like this, and if I was just, no, 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 no. You have the anointing, God will open the door. It's like the story they said about Larry Bird, Larry Bird, who's a Hall of Famer from the Boston Celtics. Larry Bird was playing in the middle of nowhere, and they were were wondering, I believe he was in Indiana, uh, they were wondering... um, um, if any opportunities, any scholarships were going to come to him. and But they trained him and said, no, you keep on practicing. You keep on working in the off season. You keep on working behind the scenes and having a discipline. Those coaches will come to your in the middle of nowhere city to come and find you and recruit you. A, a man's gift will make room for itself. And so the gift is not about the location of the gift. It's about the person who carries the gift, if they are spending time in the proper location, and that is abiding in God. Abiding in God is a prerequisite for his glory. He said, "He said Jesus said it this way, you know, to... If you abide in the vine, you will bear forth fruit, much fruit, more fruit, uh, and, and remaining fruit. And all of it is determined by your location. Are you abiding in the vine? If you abide in the vine, somebody hear a confirmation here. If you abide in Jesus Christ, don't stress over not being discovered or being in obscurity the people will come right into the your, the middle of your nowhere people were coming into john's wilderness experience because they they felt something they felt something that they couldn't feel in those synagogues. They felt something that they could not feel in the mundane religious ritual. They, they felt something that they could not be manipulated or tainted by man. They felt something from God, and he was preaching out of his wilderness experience. He, he started preaching from the place of his pain. He started preaching from his desert. One thing that the gospel writers highlight with John is they highlight his humanity. You see later John uh, doubting when he's in prison. You see uh, in the gospel of John, he says, he must increase and I must decrease as the crowds were coming to Jesus. They wanted to emphasize the humanity of John because in Ephesus, John was reaching a myth-like, he's become, he was becoming a myth-like figure. Uh, decades later, uh, after John had been dead, years later, uh, you see in Acts 19, they were still baptizing unto John's baptism. He was an influential figure, and so the Gospels were bringing John into his humanity to let the Jewish people know that John was just preparing the way for Jesus, that he wasn't that light. He was just sent to bear witness of the light. And so all of the gospel writers, including Matthew, they highlight that he said that he's not worthy to untie his sandals. And, this is, this is so so important because what I love about the Bible is how, how God makes sure you see your hero's humanity. You see John in prison. You see David with Bathsheba. You see Noah drunk. You see Abraham lying. You see Jacob deceiving. You see all of these men of God, the Hezekiahs, the all, all of these men and women of God, you see their humanity. They're still heroes, but they're human. There's only one person worthy of being worshiped, and that's Jesus Christ, who is perfect and who is God Almighty. And I love, this is why you can trust the Bible, because it doesn't try to, to cover the weaknesses of its heroes or its main characters. It shows the ups and the downs, it shows the balance. And he does that so you and I can see the relatability that if God was willing to work with their weaknesses and their humanity, how much more is he willing to work with ours? And so they are careful to highlight John's humanity. And so he, he starts his ministry in the wilderness. Everyone at this time is starting it in the synagogues where all the people are. John starts it where it's just him and God. And as Leonard Ravenhill said, uh, a man with God, one man with God is in the majority. One man or woman with God is in the majority. doesn't matter what's against you as long as God is for you. Through him, we are more than conquerors. Through him, we are more than conquerors. So verse two, repent, this is his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his message. What a message. What a message that people wanted to hear. These were the precursors to glory. The precursors to the glory of God. He's had a wilderness experience and he preached conviction. Repent is the 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 metanoa, the it is the changing of mind. It is the the to, to turn away from sin and turn to God. That's what repentance is. It's not only it's saying you're sorry and you're saying I'm turning away from that and I'm turning to you, God. Now, now it's not enough to stop doing sin. You have to turn from sin and turn to God because there are people that stop doing sin, but they don't turn to God. They turn to something else, and that's not repentance. Repentance isn't just stop sinning. Repentance is is turning away from sin to God. But if you notice in the world, there are people that will stop drinking alcohol and turn to their job. And the motivation to stop doing drugs, they stop doing drugs and they're sorry for doing drugs and they don't turn to God. They turn to um exercise, or they turn to their work, or they turn to a relationship, or they turn to uh uh self-development and independency. You see, they stop the the sinful habits and the sinful behaviors But they didn't turn to God, therefore, is not repentance. Repentance is only repentance when you turn to God as the source, as the remedy, as the per he is the permanent fix. Everything else is temporary fix. You see, when I was in the world and I was playing uh, basketball, I didn't drink or smoke, not because I was trying to please God but I was trying to please my goal and my vision to be a successful basketball player. That's not repentance. Repentance is when I say, God, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm turning from this and I'm turning to you because only you are able to take care of this sin. No basketball can take care of it. No job can take care of it. No friend, no personal development program, nothing can take care of this, but you that's repentance. And because it's from that place of repentance that God will empower an individual to live for him. And so repentance is always turning to God, turning away from and turning to God. It's not enough to just turn away. You have to turn to. That's repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what John is doing here is he, he, this is the precursor to Jesus' ministry. And what he's showing and highlighting to them is that, that the kingdom of God is, is very near. And that this kingdom is, is near and that it's going to show itself in a different way than they expected. it. They didn't expect it to be like this. They thought that the kingdom would just, God would come and announce himself and bam, just destroy all of Rome and that's it. But the kingdom doesn't come as uh, as uh, a, a huge tree. It starts as a mustard seed. It doesn't come as this huge loaf. It comes as a little leaven that leavens the loaf. That that the kingdom expands in in, in very small ways, in small incre- incremental ways, initially, and then over time it builds up. But what he's showing them is is that get your awareness right, because open your open your eyes, open open your 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 mind that the kingdom is here and you don't even realize it yet. Because because Jesus was standing among them as the Messiah and they had no idea how how quick the kingdom of God would be inaugurated. And what Jesus' ministry is, what Matthew is showing, is that what his ministry is doing is he is expanding the kingdom and showing, hey, in the kingdom... uh, uh, you know, uh, he's showing them the kingdom, like healing the blind and healing the deaf and healing the lame and healing the mute, and he's sh- and he's expanding the kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. That 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 in the kingdom of heaven, that like you're not going to be suffering from those same diseases. And so, let me demonstrate what the kingdom looks like. And so he's preparing the way because they would not be able to handle Jesus' ministry. It would just be too much of a shocker. And so he is the one that prepares the way with repentance. Anytime there's repentance and people desiring God and wanting to turn away from sin and turn to God, anytime that there is repentance, you can can count on it that the kingdom of God Is beginning to expand. These are precursors to glory. When somebody has been through a wilderness experience and when somebody comes out with a conviction in their message, the kingdom begins to expand. Verse three, for this is he of who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So 400 years of silence was waiting on this voice. 400 years, they hadn't heard a prophetic voice. And John breaks the silence, not from the palace, not from the synagogue, not from the beauty of the palace, not from the comfort of the synagogue, but from the the, the pain of the wilderness, Anytime you see wilderness, it's always a posturing place. He was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So he is the one trying to make the crooked places, crooked paths straight. He is the one that is preaching a message to get people back on on a way that is pleasing to God. And he stood in contrast to the rest of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Verse four, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. This is the uniqueness of John because everyone in the in the synagogues are wearing nice robes. They got the fine linen. They, they, they look nice. They, they're, they're making sure they're dressing good so people come and hear their message they passed them up to go to this wild man with camel's hair. He, what he wore was distinct to his time. What, what he wore was distinct to his message. He not only preached that he didn't, didn't uh, care what anyone think of him, but you, you could see it in how he dressed. I don't know how a camel's girdle looked, but I'm sure it didn't look too good. And later, Jesus would say that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And this is the lesson that you have to understand. Anytime God wants to bring you into something new, he will always encourage you to tap into something old. I'm going to say that again. Anytime God is about to do something new, he is going to provoke you to tap into something old. What does that mean? Here's what it means. John was preparing the way for the Lord, for the Messiah who had never come before. This is a new dimension. This had never happened before, but he doesn't come with some new philosophy. He doesn't come in the strength of his own intellect or his ability, but he prays and fasts and seeks God so much that he taps into the spirit of Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament. And he got so saturated with something old that God trusted him with something new. My goodness. See, sometimes when people uh, want want a new anointing or something new, they want to get like a new philosophy. Oh, I don't have to pray that much. I don't have to fast that much. I don't have to read my Bible that much. No, that's not how that works. If you want to get into something new, you've got to go back into the spirit. You've got to go back into prayer. Go back into your 5 a.m. prayer. Go back into your midnight prayer. Go back into your afternoon prayer. Go back into reading through the Bible in 90 days. Go back to reading through the Bible in a year. Go back to those old disciplines because you never graduate from those old disciplines. And And if you... Are ready to go into something new, the sign is when you're walking in something old. And we can never be so spiritual or are so amazing and so gifted that we ever graduate from prayer and that we ever graduate from our need for repentance. More than anything, I want to please God. More than anything, I want to please him more than anything. He is my desire. And when I look into Jesus' face and see his perfection, it causes me to repent. God, forgive me. This is why I want to be like him. You see, everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to be an apostle but it is easier to be a prophet than it is to be like Jesus it is easier to be an apostle than to be like Jesus why because the prophets and the apostles they were imperfect but Jesus was perfect and so I want to be like him because that is a lifetime journey of God continually shedding things off of me, getting things out of me, and putting his nature and his love and his character into me. That's what, what, what makes me keep pursuing that, that's what has me chasing after him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. I am apprehended by something that I have yet to apprehend. John tapped into something new when he committed himself to something old. He had the spirit of Elijah, and he's eating Locust and wild honey. Several months ago, I I, I mentioned the concept of wild honey. Why didn't it just say honey? It said wild honey. Why would it say wild honey? It's because John wanted something that has not been domesticated. It didn't say domesticated honey. It said wild honey. He wanted honey that had not been touched or tainted by human hands. He wanted something that only came from God. Because if God is the one that gave it to him, only God is the one that could take it away from him. The synagogue couldn't take it away. The politicians can't take it away. The preachers can't take it away. What John said, all I have, it came straight from the throne of heaven. I want something pure. Not something that people are trying to use to manipulate me. I want something that comes from God. That's radical. I I want something. He was living on wild honey. He was living on a word from God. He was living with an incredible dependence upon God. And I'm telling you, these are precursors to glory. That's my message. The precursors to glory. Before God's glory reveals itself, you're gonna find yourself, you're gonna find your voice being developed in a wilderness. You're gonna have a convicting message. You're gonna cry. And you're gonna be willing to live on something that only comes from God, the wild honey. And He's eating locusts again. Once again, that's something that cannot be controlled by man. He's grabbing locusts out of the sky. He's grabbing locusts out of the sky, something that hasn't been tainted by human hands, something that hasn't been corrupted. What a contrast to the system. Everyone in the system, they're eating good steaks in the synagogues. They got their feet up. They're comfortable. But John said, I'm living on something that only comes from God. I pray that that would get into our spirit, that I want to get into God so much that what he gives me can only come from him and can't be taken away from any, by, by anyone else. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. His life stood in direct contrast to that corrupt uh, Jewish religious, religious system at the time. He is being real, going after it. See, there's a difference between preaching a message and living a message. There has to be a life that is lived that brings conviction to a message. And John was living that life. He spent he spent thirty years of preparation for what some people estimate a six month ministry. He prepared thirty years for a six month ministry. It was Leonard Ravenhill that said, "And now we go to school six months, and we have a thirty year ministry." We have to stay in the school of God's presence. We have to stay in the school of dependency. And anytime Victor Jackson starts thinking that he's something, God will draw me into a wilderness experience to show me that in my flesh there dwells no good thing, that I am nothing without him. that I'm, I'm flesh and bone, I'm dust and ashes, I'm, I'm, I'm human like anyone else. And the only good thing that anybody can see in me is what God has put in me, not my flesh, not my intellect, not my education, not my experience, not my background. It's something that only comes from God. The Bible says in verse 5, then Jerusalem and all the Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, you have to understand this, this idea of people coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west to John in the wilderness. We have to understand this particular idea because the Bible says they were baptized. Baptizo is the Greek word to means that they were immersed. Now, what makes this unique, I want you to understand this. Baptism was not unique during this time because the Jews would immerse and baptize Gentiles that wanted to convert to Judaism. And so, and so that was actually a custom. That a Jew, someone, a Gentile, someone that wasn't a Jew, they wanted to convert to Judaism. They would baptize these pagans to proselyte and, and convert them to their Jewish way. But what makes John the Baptist unique is that he is telling these Jews to be baptized, now that had never been done before. Now he's he's telling the Jews, you think just because you're a child of Abraham, that you that you deserve the kingdom of heaven, that you deserve this and you deserve that. But he said, no, everybody has to repent, including you, Israel. And he baptized them, and you got to thank God for the hunger of these Jewish people who could have walked away uh, with an elitist mentality and say, hold on, I'm a child of Abraham. like I don't need to do this. But they felt such conviction while he was preaching that the Jews were baptized. And, And what John is doing here, where the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John, what John was doing here as he was setting the stage that that just as the gentiles need god the jews need god and they need more than just the bloodline of a jewish person they need a real life experience and encounter with god this is setting the stage for later jews and gentiles alike Needing to be baptized in the name of Jesus, needing, needing to take on uh, his nature, needing to believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, needing to, needing to receive his Spirit. That that the Jews and the Gentiles need need this, and so we he, we see the precursor of baptism here to convert to a new way and a new path. Then he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, verse 7. And he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what these Pharisees and Sadducees would do is that they would just watch and then they they would spy, they would send spies. And John called them out. He said, who's warning you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to bring forth fruit, keeping with repentance, meaning let your life match your confession. If you're confessing that you want to change, your life needs to back that up. And so repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. And there should be fruit that is coming out of a life that is consistent with that repentance. You ever had someone that always say they're sorry, but then just do it again the next day? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. and they and they and they know how to make you not be mad as much when they keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. and And all of a sudden those sorry start falling on deaf ears because they're not bringing forth fruit that is consistent with that sorry. And when you're not bringing forth fruit that is consistent with that repentance, it could damage relationships. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he said, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He uses the play on words here, a Hebrew word here, John. Uh, the, the word stone is stones in the Hebrew is uh, uh, a ben, and, and, uh, children is is Ben, the Hebrew word Ben. And so he's using a play on, on words here to, to illustrate a, a meaning to them that, that God is able to do anything. He is sovereign. And from these stones, he could raise up children for Abraham. And so John is already uh, anticipating and showing them that they are able to be replaced, that God is able to bring children uh, for Abraham from not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And the Bible would say in Romans that, that that we are children of Abraham as Gentiles because we have the faith of Abraham. And the covenant was in faith before it was ever in law. This was Paul's whole argument in Romans, that the children of Israel called themselves the children of God because of their keeping in the law. But Paul brings them back and says, you don't understand that the covenant was in the faith of Abraham because Abraham believed the Lord and God imputed righteousness unto him because of his belief. And then God gave him the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17. And so what he's showing here is that we were children of faith, that we were children of faith before the covenant of circumcision ever came. And so John is already putting into the Jewish mindset the possibility of God bringing children from another place. Matthew is using this theme and showing the, the Jews verse by verse that the Gentiles are a part of the plan, we're always a part of the plan, and that they are children just like we are. They are children just like the Jews are. He says, "Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire." So, so in living for God and in relationship with God, He expects good fruit. Then He says, "I baptize you with water." Verse eleven for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this is this is something very unique that John says, because you have to go into uh, the Jewish custom here. He says, I'm not worthy to to carry or untie your sandals. Well, during this time, a Hebrew slave was prohibited from untying and carrying his master's shoes. It was illegal for a Hebrew slave to untie the sandals of their master. Here's why. Because they believed it was such a demeaning task on a person carrying the image of God, that it was such a demeaning task that no master could require their slave to untie their sandals. But John says, I am not worthy to do what slaves are prohibited from doing. Are you catching this? It was illegal for a slave to untie their master's shoes because they considered it an assault against humanity of of degradation and demeaning to have someone made in the image of God to untie the sandal. They said, that's too far. But John said, listen, I'm not even worthy to do that. We're talking about the precursors to glory. John had a humility. While the crowds were coming around him, he was operating in a kingdom humility. Precursors of glory, humility. When I speak of humility, you see, John was humble while hundreds and thousands of people were coming to hear him preach. When I speak of humility, I do not speak of humility as far as destination. Humility is not a destination. Humility is an attitude. humility is an attitude it's not a destination see some people have made humility a destination that that you're supposed to always just be broke and just be be not not being anything and not becoming anything and don't think don't think of yourself about anything and and this mentality of humility being a destination it makes people afraid of success Because it makes people afraid of being great at anything. Because they make success synonymous with pride. Which means, and pride goes before destruction. Success, they make it synonymous with failure. Because they have made humility a destination instead of an attitude. You see, you can have a billion dollars and still be humble. You can be a billionaire and still be humble. You could own 2,000 properties and still be humble. You could be the best person at your craft and still be humble. It's an attitude. It's not a destination. Here's why this is important to grasp, because the scripture says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. So some people are so focused on being humble as their destination that when God tries to exalt them, watch this, they rebuke the exaltation and cleave to the destination of humility. And what happens is their humility becomes pride because they're more focused on the destination than following God. See, it is biblical for God to exalt you. But people resist that exaltation because of fear. I'm helping somebody listening right now. And you have to understand, if you're afraid of success, your body will never align with the habits that it takes to be successful. Because whatever the mind fears, it avoids. So because your mind fears it, the body, the the mind convinces the body to not get in alignment with the success. And that's why you can't find any consistency because you're working against yourself because you want you want to be focused on looking humble. You humble yourself and when God exalts you in due time, you can still be humble while he's exalting you. John had thousands of people coming to him but he never lost his humility. See there's something about Uh, the wilderness that teaches you a humility that teach, that gives you the character to handle the gift, the character to handle the voice, the character to handle the elevation. I remember several years ago, I was scheduled to to preach at a, uh, a very uh, small church and God had given me a word to preach there. Every year I would schedule, I would make sure I schedule multiple places of, you know, small congregations. While I would be, you know, going to do, you know, conferences and meetings of thousands and thousands of people, I made sure mixed in there, I would go to congregations uh, of 50 and and 60 and uh, things like that, 30. Well, I was booked for a small congregation, and you have to listen to this, guys. And God gave me a word for them. Well, a, a conference called me of about three thousand people, two to three thousand people. They called me for those same dates, but God had already given me a word for the smaller church. So I told I told them, "No, I can't do it. I'm I'm booked." I went to that church. God moved. I was in the Holy Ghost. Well, a few months later passed, and I had the same situation. I was booked for a smaller church, and then a conference called me, to about two to 3,000 people. But I said, man, I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, cancel uh, this small church because I, I, I want to humble myself. I don't want to be prideful. So I told the that convention of thousands, I said, I'm, I'm not gonna be there. I got a church to go to. As soon as I got to that small church, the Lord spoke to me and said, You missed my will. I wanted to, I wanted to vomit the entire time I was there. I miss God. I couldn't feel his presence. I couldn't connect. I couldn't preach. I I didn't feel his unction. I didn't feel his hand. And after Seeking God about it. Uh, I, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. I wanted to get on a flight home as soon as possible. I missed it. And when I got home and I repented to the Lord, He said, Let me tell you, let me tell you what the problem is, Victor. He said, You are more focused on being humble than following me. And he said, and you have to learn to follow me no matter how it looks, It can, no matter how it looks to others. As long as your heart is right with me and you are, have a humble posture with me, I will take you into places where it can look like you're prideful, but your heart is in right standing with me. It can look like you're prideful because of the elevation, but just be content that your heart is right with me and you're living for the audience of one not to please other people. You are more focused on being humble than being obedient to my will. And that's what happens when we make humility a destination. I learned my lesson. I have to obey God no matter how it looks. I have to obey God no matter how it looks. And I learned my lesson. So when God tells me not to go somewhere, I don't go. When God tells me to go, I go no matter how it looks. Because humility is not a destination. It is an attitude. So you got to stop apologizing when God blesses you. You have to stop repenting whenever you do too good. Oh, I'm helping somebody listening right now. John had a more humility than a slave, and he was way more successful than any preacher in his time other than Jesus, and yet he has a humility while the crowds are coming. You have to understand something that when people today would call Abraham, prideful because he was popular. But here's the issue. The problem is that God told Abraham, I will make your name great. So let's talk about that. The problem is God told Joshua this day when when they crossed over, uh, when they were about to cross over the Jordan River, God told Joshua, today, I'm going to magnify you before all of Israel. I'm in the book. I'm in the book. What do you do with that? See, God exalts who he trusts. I'm helping somebody. I said, God exalts who he trusts. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 7 And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. God exalts who he can trust with the glory. That's what, see, people that God. A, a, a exalts, uh, I'm talking about a God ex- exaltation, not not something from man. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but all promotion comes from the Lord. I'm talking about things that come from the Lord, not manipulating, not politicking, not, not any of that, but something that comes from God. When it's something that comes from God, he trusts his glory to people that have been through some stuff, that have the character to handle the glory, that it doesn't go to their head that they will not receive worship unto them, but they will direct it completely to the throne of God. But it is possible to be humble and successful. Yes, pride comes before destruction. Yes, some people are uh, fall because of pride and success. But, you know, there's some people that fall of pride and failure as well. It's like someone said, they said, yeah, if it's when someone gets a new car that's rich and they park it in the front of the, the church on purpose so everybody can see that's pride. But of the of the person that uh, parks his car in the back because it's a busted up car uh, and they're poor, that's pride as well. See, there's two coins uh, there's two sides of the coin with pride. You can be prideful in success and be prideful in, in failure. The issue is, is that our hearts have to be set on God and we have to understand humility is an attitude, not a destination. John said, I'm not even worthy to do what the slaves are forbidden to do. Wow. That is a kingdom posture. That is a precursor to the glory of God. Someone... That can, that can walk in the glory of God still with the humility. <clears throat> he talks about the in, imminent judgment that's going to come, that God is gonna baptize the people with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he, he will burn up with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fork, it was a fork that they used during harvest time where they would stick it in, into uh, the grain and, and they would lift it up and throw it up in the wind and the wind would take away the chaff and the, the kernels of the grain would fall to the ground. And so he's saying we're, we're going to gather the wheat in the barn. That that the heavier stuff we're going to we're going to keep that and he's comparing that to the repentant and the chaff is the unrepentant. And that's what they would do with chaff, they would just burn it. Burn it with unquenchable fire. There there was you know there there's different hebrew words for for hell uh used in scripture uh hades sheol gehenna um and one of these references is um, it's where stuff was just on fire it was like a garbage dump where it was just on fire all day and that's what they compared uh, to hell. And so when he says that the chaff, he will burn up with unquenchable fire, it's just a fire that can't be put out. And, and that's what you would do with the chaff. You would just go burn it and and and, and, uh, and allow it, it cont- to continue to burn. The difference between the repentant and the unrepentant. And so John is introducing an, an eternal consciousness here. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now look at the humility of Jesus. Jesus gets baptized by someone that he created. He is the theanthropos. He is the God-man, and he humbles himself. I mean, you got to look at this. Was it, was it you know, I'm talking about humility not being a destination. Jesus was the most humble man to ever, ever walk the earth. He is humility personified, but he's flipping over tables in, in the temple, but he never ceases to be humility. He's rebuking the Pharisees, yet he never ceases to be humble. Are you getting what I'm saying? It was impossible for him to be prideful. Yet look at the actions that he did that we would look at these actions and and conclude that these are prideful actions. But he was doing it in obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And you can't say that he wasn't loving either because God is love. He was love manifested in the flesh. And so Jesus was flipping over tables without, would never ceasing to be love, never never stopping being love. He was still love. He was flipping the tables in love because, because he was judging Oh my goodness, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, But but what Matthew shows is that when Jesus is judging the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he he's not against them. He is doing it in love because they need to repent. And these judgments that he's giving them in time is to save them from eternal judgment. So when he's judging the temple, he's doing it in love because they needed to learn a lesson now. so they could be saved from eternal judgment. Jesus was showing love. When he died on the cross, he died for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, those that conspired against him. He loved unconditionally. But just because there were actions that we would attribute to not being loving, it didn't mean that he stopped being loved. And this is what we have to get in our our heads We have to get delivered from the cultural thinking and get back into biblical thinking. He humbles himself. He was healing thousands, doing miracles all over, still humble, powerful. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Matthew is showing the beginnings of the kingdom expansion and and he's showing this as well to show the legitimacy of Jesus ministry because it was endorsed by John Jesus didn't come to testify of himself John testified of him Jesus did everything legally according to the law This is what Matthew is building a case for that he wasn't a usurper he didn't just come out of nowhere he wasn't just, you know, uh, what they call a Johnny come lately, but he, he followed things to the T. He is even baptized of, of John, which endorsed John's ministry that he was in the will of God. He said, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. I'm doing this as an example. I'm doing this as a continuation And then the voice from heaven says, I'm pleased. Matthew is building a case showing the beginnings of Jesus' ministry because tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, the temptations and when he begins his ministry and how popular his ministry is. But Matthew is very strategic in showing his beginnings because he's showing that he had a legal beginning and that he was endorsed by John the Baptist. And that the John the Baptist that they denied, they didn't want to get baptized of him. Of him. The John the Baptist that they denied, Jesus endorsed. Matthew is showing the stubborn nature and the stubborn mindset of the Jews and that the stubbornness that they're walking with in this day that Matthew is writing, that it was reflected during the time of Jesus in his earthly body. So he's using these stories as a forewarning to not for them to not be on the same path, but to have the, the openness and the and the sincerity to repent and come into the kingdom of God. Repent and come into the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus starts his ministry, he just does a continuation of John the Baptist ministry. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's showing the continuation and the shift that is happening. But these are precursors to glory. John prepared the way with his life, with his message, with his dependency, with his humility. He prepared the way for Jesus. These are the precursors to glory. Somebody that's willing to live it, willing to preach it, willing to depend on God, bearing fruit, walking in humility. These are the precursors to glory. John exampled what gets Jesus ready for his ministry, ready for a transformation. When you get saturated with those old things, we never graduate from the old landmarks of prayer, fasting, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, loving people, loving God, loving people. We never graduate from that. I remember several years ago uh, I was reading a book on prayer and and God stopped me and said, hey, you know how many people have read that book on prayer and still don't pray? He said, "He said, stop trying to find easier ways to do what I've called you to do. He said, it's very simple to grow in me. He said, it's prayer, Bible reading, study. He said, but people spend all their time looking for quick fixes, God convicts us to pray, and so we buy a book on prayer. God convicts us to fast, so we buy a book on fasting. We'll do anything but do it, but it's in doing it that brings the power. It's in doing it that saturates us with that old anointing. And that's how we bring in a new thing, when we get saturated with an old thing. Matthew highlights John the Baptist's ministry because it is essential to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew shows John as a central figure to what would come. And he's getting them ready. That just as the Jews, see, once Jesus dies, is buried, uh, rises again, ascends back into heaven, a Jew could still feel uh, elite in a way that they would never get baptized because that was only for the pagan Gentiles. But what Matthew is showing here is that Jews were baptized by John the Baptist, which was the first that, that had ever happened. Uh, a A person that is In the bloodline of Abraham, getting baptized was a phenomenon. And Matthew is showing that 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 is the expectation in the New Testament as well. That the Jews aren't exempt. And just like they were baptized unto John, they need to also, according to Acts 2, according to Acts 4, according to Acts 8, according to Acts 10, according to Acts 19, according to Acts 22, that in the early church, it was for everyone. And some of the first people that responded in Acts 2 were Jews when they said, what shall we do? And 3,000 were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. After they believed and repented. And Matthew is showing that this was happening under John the Baptist's ministry. That's why they called him the baptizer, because he was not just baptizing Gentiles, he was baptizing Jews. Which was phenomenal. And so Matthew is making the case that Jesus is for Jews and Gentiles, and he begins, he's going to go into this in Matthew 4, and you're going to see it begin to build as it goes to the Jews first, but it starts seeping into the Gentiles and culminating on the cross where Jews and Gentiles are both both guilty of Jesus being on the cross, the Romans and the Jews were confederate uh, to bring him to the cross. And Jesus died for everyone's sins. Matthew does an exceptional job of building on this because this theme of fulfillment is critical because John played a role in fulfillment. He had to be that voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Share this podcast with someone. pray it's a blessing to you. Thank you so much for joining. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.